Amen. Amen. So good. Hey, if that's you, if you're watching online, you can ask for prayer in the chat. There's a button you can push also. If you're here tonight and you'd like for someone to pray for you, if you've been struggling with feelings of worthlessness, we'd love to pray for you. Hey, how about Satai on the video announcements for the first time? This is for you. I don't want to break the protocol here with pandemics. I'm just going to put it there. Hannah's going to get it for you. Complimenting him coming out of a segue of worthlessness might not have been the best transition. Just so good. So good. Hey, I just want to remind you if you're visiting tonight, this is an abbreviated service with the pandemic. It's just thrown our plans for our annual business meeting that we do every year a little bit off. So the, the plan is, we'll, we'll see if I'm going to make it. I think I've got more than 25 minutes here in this launch of this series. But our goal is to end the service at 6. Um, and, and then if you're visiting, you, you can stay if, you, if you'd like. Uh, the presentation for the business meeting is not tonight. We sent that out online. There was a link that people could sign up for. So there's no presentation tonight. It's just a Q&A. Uh, and then we're going to be voting and uh, balloting for an updated constitution and bylaws. So again, if, you're, if you call City Life Church your home, we would ask that you would stay uh, to help us get through that business. Uh, there'll be a five-minute break at the end of the service. For those that don't want to stay, they can leave. If you want to get your kids' child care, we'll continue through. I don't think we'll be here very long. If you are, if City Life Church is your home and you are going to stay at the end of the service, we would ask that you're going to come down to the front because we need to identify who's here. So there'll be a station at the end of each row and you can come down and we'll check your name off so we can establish a quorum. So we hope that you would do that for us. Any, any other? Is that it? Yeah, just a five minute break. Five minute break. Doxa. This is our new series we're launching tonight for the next several weeks entitled Unlocking Glorious Living. Unlocking Glorious Living. We're going to be working over the next several weeks. We'll do one each week through seven core doctrines. God is one. The Bible is true. The cross is enough. Mankind is helpless. Jesus is life. Eternity is real. And the church is central we're not going to spend a lot of time each week trying to convince you that these are true. I think most of us have spent most of our Christian lives in church being reminded of these things as if we're trying to convince ourselves of something that we already embrace. If these are new for you, we are going to touch on them. If they are new for you and you want to explore them more, then reach out to us. We can talk to you. We can have a further conversation. We can connect you to resources but for too many people, I fear, my, I've been here myself, we, we spend so much time talking about these beliefs, we, we, we fail to ask the more important question, which is how are these beliefs changing the way that we live? See, because if we're just talking about what we believe and trying to convince other people in the church to change their doctrinal viewpoints to match ours, right? we, we reduce Christianity to religious intellectualism. And that's not what Christianity is about. It's, not, it's information, yes, that's supposed to lead to transformation. So we're going to talk about these seven, but we're going to be talking to you from the perspective of how is this belief changing the way that you live. I want to thank Amy Kimball for doing some research here in the Greek for Doxa and then for Shani and Pastor David and Pastor Justin enduring a flurry of emails as I was fleshing out some of these thoughts. Doxa. 
It translates glory, splendor, grandeur, power, kingdom, praise, honor. It's, it's used to refer to the revealed presence of God. There are also times where it's used to speak of God himself. The root word of doxa means to think, to suppose, believe, or consider, or imagine. So you see the connection here. You with me? It, it's asked that the word itself for glory in the New Testament, the root word is belief, because God is saying to us, your beliefs should change you in some way. It's not just about an idea. 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25 reads this way, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, doxa, is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word, which, and this is the word that was preached for you. So here it's talking about the glory of man. It fades. But it's the word doxa, referring to beauty and splendor. John 12, 43 says, for they loved approval of people rather than the approval of God. Here it's approval or honor. It's the word doxa. 1 Peter 1, 7, I love this one. It says, so the proof of your faith, right, is what you're believing revealing anything to the world. So the, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, right, not just the faith itself, but the proof of it. More precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire. Listen to what it says. May be found to result in praise and glory, doxa, and honor, doxa, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are our beliefs revealing the glory of God to the world. So each week, we're going to ask you this same question. How does my belief that, fill in the blank, and you would put one of these seven in here, each week my challenge is going to be for you, the week that's coming, that you're going to spend this coming week asking yourself this question about the, the doctrine that we explore. How does my belief that blank, inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me. Because that's at the very essence of what it means to unlock a glorious life. This, this series is not about you to have a better life. We talk about that sometimes. Do we want you to have a better life? Jesus talked about an, an abundant life, and, and that covers so many aspects of who we are, our, our life roles, our, our vocation, our personal relationship with Jesus. But at the end of the day, the idea of glorious living is really just about one thing. Is the ultimate mission of your life the same as the ultimate mission of God himself? And that is to reconcile this world to himself through Jesus. Unlocking glorious living is about our lives pointing people to a living God who is glorious. Glorious living is about our lives and the way that we live, our attitudes and our actions, inspiring other people to discover the reality that God is alive and loves them with an indescribable love and created them for a purpose. The ultimate mission and purpose of our lives should be that through our attitudes and actions and who we are as a person should inspire other people to find something inside of themselves, even if they can't explain it, that begins to well up inside of them and what we know it to be, it's the beginning of their own praise and shout of the goodness of God. Now this message is gonna be a little bit different because what I wanna do tonight is I wanna share with you my journey that I did myself this week in asking this question. My, my message tonight is not to give you a lot of options 
for you to choose from as you ask this question about how does my belief that God is one inspiring you to reveal the glory of God to the world around you. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share with you what I discovered about myself as I did what I'm asking you to do. Now this idea of God is one is all throughout scripture. If you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that we use the word Trinity to communicate and articulate this idea of the oneness of God. Right? We, all, we all recognize that the word Trinity itself is not in the Bible because Human language struggles to articulate the perfectness of who God is. So we reach for this word Trinity to communicate this idea of the oneness of God, three and one. Let me share this. This is the most succinct, clear description of the Trinity I've ever read in this book called Bible Doctrines. The Trinity is admittedly a mystery, a mystery too great for human comprehension, but as with so many truths, hard for the unregenerate person, right? Meaning, meaning that we, in ourselves, the brokenness of our humanity will never be able to fully comprehend the perfectness of divinity. Our, the unregenerate person to accept the spirit of truth helps us in our weakness, helps our human inability, 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 16. It says, we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and recognize their personalities and what we see in the Bible. Here it comes. Therefore, we humbly acknowledge that they are one in fellowship, purpose, and substance. They're one in fellowship, purpose, and substance. As you read throughout Scripture, we see God the Father. As we read throughout Scripture, we see God the Son. As we read throughout Scripture, we see God the Holy Spirit. One in fellowship, purpose, and substance. And this is what we find. They are all three divine. They are all three divine. They are all three all-powerful. They are all three all-wise. And they are all three all ever-present. There is no limit to the power of the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. There is no limit to the wisdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have this divine ability to be somewhere and everywhere at the same time. It's a mystery. The question is, how is that mystery changing the way that you live? Genesis 1, 26 to 28, we, we understand this verse is the first mention of the oneness of God in creation where God says, and the Father and the Son say together, let us make mankind in our image. Why is the word us used? Because God is revealing himself as one, even though they are three. It's interesting to me, as you look throughout Scripture, Jesus talks about the Father and he talks about the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself talks about the Father and the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that as you read throughout Scripture, guess who the Father talks about? The Father talks about Jesus and he also talks about the Holy Spirit. And surprise, surprise, when we get to the Holy Spirit, you want to know who he talks about? He talks about the Father and he talks about Jesus the Son. The best evidence that we have of these three is that they talk about each other. They refer to one another. They talk to one another and then they talk to us about those others. How does my belief that God is one inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me? The, 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 the one 
that came to me. There were several, but the one that was the most profound that I want to share to you tonight, this is, this is what I felt. I'm answering that question as I want to live more fully for him. As I think about the relationship of the Trinity, as I think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what I, what I was struck with, what I felt like the Holy Spirit was asking me is, Fred, do you live fully for us? Find me some place in Scripture where it seems that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are jealous of one another. Find me a place in Scripture where it seems the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit compete with one another. Find me one place in Scripture where it seems the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are threatened by one another. You can't find it. Matthew 3, 17. A voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love, with I am well pleased. We understand this is what God said, spoke. People at Jesus' baptism, it said it was like thunder. God spoke audibly to the world. This is my son that I love with whom I'm well pleased. The father was there. The Holy Spirit descended, right? It says descended like a dove. All three of them were there. You know what the father didn't do? He didn't say, look at what I have done. I am perfect. Who else in all creation could create someone who was fully God and fully man in earth? Who else could create someone that was subject to temporal rules but also fully clothed with the power of heaven who else could cause this person to come into the world through a virgin birth he's not Thanos he didn't say I am inevitable no 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 he could have he could have boasted Look, I mean, look at what he had done, right? In that moment of the inauguration of Jesus' life in ministry, he could have said, hey, everybody look at me, but he doesn't. He says, everybody look at him. This is my son that I love, and with him I am well pleased. Because the father lives fully for the son, and the father lives fully for the spirit, Am I living fully for them? John 5, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. You know what Jesus never says? Hey, old man, it's my turn now. Jesus never says, I've been watching history from heaven all of these millennia, and you know what I've realized is at some point the prince kills the king and takes over. He doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, when is it going to be my turn to be the father? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, you just made your first mistake. You sent me down here to earth. And I've decided I'm going to give heavenly bodies to all of these millions of people a little bit early and we're coming back and we're taking over. Because he could have done that. Because he's all powerful. But he does not. He does not. Everything about the Son lives fully for the Father and lives fully for the Spirit. How about the Holy Spirit? If, if anybody could maybe, you know, be a little jaded, it's him. But he's not. John 16, 13, 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he doesn't even get to talk about himself. 
It's going to be okay, Holy Spirit. But he does not need our comfort because he does not care. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Stop. You think the Holy Spirit ever says, people don't even use my name as a curse word. Why is that? You think he feels neglected? It's always Jesus Christ this, God blankety blank. When's the last time somebody stubbed their toe and said, Holy Spirit? Yeah, nobody ever. Do you you think he's complaining about that? I don't think he is. If you're Pentecostal like me, you might, you know, shout Shandala or something like that that he inspires, but are you saying his name? This is the question I sent out to Shani and all them, I said, you know, I can't find anywhere in the Bible, and I've never thought about this before, where where the Holy Spirit has an audible voice to the world. Why is that? Never thought about that before. You you see God audibly speaking to people, and it's recorded for us. Now, there's occasions where it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to people, but every other time that the Holy Spirit speaks, he has to speak through the voice of people. Jesus had his own voice. The Father had his own voice. You think the Holy Spirit says, you know what, Jesus? You you only had to be here for three years. I've been here for 2,000. Whatever you're doing up there with the new heaven and the new earth, could you hurry that along a little bit? No, 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 no. He does not complain. If Jesus does not come back for another 10,000 years, you know what the Holy Spirit's gonna be doing? He's gonna be doing what he's always been doing, living fully for the Father and living fully for the Son When I've taken a deep dive into this relationship of the Trinity, I've been convicted. My heart's been challenged. How does my belief that God is one inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me? I want to live for God more fully, just like they live for one another. When Jesus found me in December of 1990 and I made a vow of devotion to him, you know what the Bible says? That in that moment where we make a vow of devotion to Christ, we're born into his family. And you know what that means? We're born into that relationship. The Bible says that the Spirit of God actually comes and lives inside of us. John 14, it says he's in us. John 17, which we talk about all the time, his prayer for us to experience oneness with one another. You know what he's talking about there? He's saying, will you live fully for one another? Stop. Yeah. I want to live more fully for him. The way that they live fully for one another. Not competing, not jealous, not envious. So I've got three questions that I wrote down because this is what I feel like all of us need to do throughout this entire series. We've got to ask ourselves this question with every one of these truths. You've got to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal some things to you because I believe that he will because this is who he is. This is who he is. And he's going to give you your own answer. He gave me an answer. He's going to give you your answer. And I've got three questions that I... 
I wrote down and I'm going to be thinking about these questions. I'm going to write them. I think at the end of this series, I'm going to have a whole list of questions that I'm going to post in my office that I want to keep looking at because I do not want to get to the end of my life and someone say, Fred, you were so convincing about Christian doctrine because if that's all that I do, then I failed. I want these doctrines to be impartational. I want these truths to change us. I want our lives, because we gave ourselves to these truths, that we inspired the world within our reach to believe in him. I was at a little mini conference early this week, just 11 of us. And we entered into a time of of prophetic prayer. Again, if that's new for you, it's just... It's entering into a place of prayer where you begin to pray for one another, but you're listening for the Holy Spirit to maybe give you a verse or, or a picture or an idea, and you just begin to share that in faith that, that, that in some way, that it's, even if it doesn't mean something to you, it's going to mean something to them. And for two and a half hours, we prayed over one another. It was powerful. This is part of what we believe here at City Life. The Holy Spirit is alive. If you've never been in an environment like that, it's, it's unbelievable. The specificity by which the Holy Spirit began to speak was, was incredible. One person shared with a, one of the young men there that uh, he had a ring on his hand, and, and the person shared, when I, when I saw that ring as we were praying for you, I thought about the parable of the prodigal son, and then that person began to recount the story. And then at the, at, in the end of recounting the story, this person said, I feel like God wants to say to you, you are a son of the house. Right when the father put that ring on the on the son who had come home, he, right his sonship was being restored, and and that person kept saying that phrase to this young man. God wants you to hear, you're a son of the house, and 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 so we we this happened for all of us, all of us, and and at the end of when we broke it up by individuals. So when we were done praying for someone, we debriefed, and that person shared when you said this, this is what it meant, and so forth and so on. I'm just giving you one of the eleven. All eleven of us have stories just like this. And, and, and he said, this, this young man said that, that last week I was praying because I have a traveling ministry and I'm also on staff and I was wrestling with which one I was going to give myself more fully to and last week God spoke to me, I wrote it in my journal, he said to me, you're a son of the house. Yeah, come on. God wants to reveal his glory. And sometimes he uses us to do it. As as we were praying for the very first person, I'm still sorting through this some myself, and so this is part of me and my journey to try to be more vulnerable this year. As we were praying over one of the young men, I, I, I kept hearing this phrase, you're enough, you're enough. And every time I wanted to share that with him, I just, I had this pause that I wasn't supposed to share it. And, and, and as I was reflecting on it, right, and other people are sharing and praying, I, 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 I heard my, my, my father, I had a great dad, and he went on to be with the Lord in, in 2014, but when he was frustrated when we were little, one of the things he would say to us is, that's enough. I'm sure my kids have heard me say that many times. Right. I'm sure some of you said, I just said that 13 seconds ago to my child. Those of you watching from home, that's enough. Fred's preaching. Give me a break. Right. 
But that was, that was his phrase to my sister, my brother. That's enough. And, and, and what I realized as I was reflecting on that, that this wasn't a word for him that God was trying to tell me something about myself. Because this is what the devil does to us. He takes phrases that other people in authority over us that were not trying to harm us. That's, that happens too, but that's not what we're talking about here. Takes innocent phrases and he twists them to create a script in our lives that we begin to operate under. And oftentimes the trap is that the script is true and then he tricks us into chasing it for the rest of our lives knowing that we'll never get there. And I realize this, 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 this phrase, that's enough that the script that, that I operate, tend to operate under more often than not is that I'm not enough. And you don't want to chase that script because I've chased it. So this word in that moment, God was saying to me, Fred, you're enough. You're enough. Which in and of itself is the perfect picture of grace. Because you know what? We will never be enough. Because that's the gospel. I can never be enough. That's why Jesus was enough for us. So the devil gets us chasing our tail, trying to be enough, because he knows we can never be enough, and it takes our eyes off of the Savior that we need, and we're chasing our own success. I knew what God was saying to me when he was saying to me, you're enough. He wasn't saying that you don't need Jesus. What he was saying is, your, your lack is okay with me. I love you just the way that you are. I'm enough. So these are my questions. Is there anything I'm chasing right now as a pastor that is motivated by my own success trying to prove that I'm enough? Is there anything I'm afraid of pursuing because I feel like I'm not enough? What voices, real or imagined, do I need to distance myself from that are amplifying the lie that I'm not enough? God's going to give you your revelation, and he's going to give you your questions. Because this idea of him being one isn't some truth that he's trying to revealed to the world so that we'll be impressed by him to feed his ego. That's not who he is. Everything that is true that he reveals to us, it's because he's trying to say to us, these truths can change you and transform your life. See, the more time I spend trying to be enough, the more I neglect the most glorious life imaginable, pointing the world around me to the glorious God who was at work reconciling people to himself through Jesus. See, the more time I spend trying to chase my own glory, I'm neglecting celebrating his. The more time I spend trying to build my own kingdom, the less time I have to build his. The more time I spend trying to tell the world that I am here takes away from the time I'm supposed to give to say, hey, he is here. Because people need him, not me. 
because I can never be enough. How does my belief that God is one inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me? I hope that that question chases you around this week and you like a bad dream and you just can't run fast enough to get away from it. I can't get away from that question. And I'm going to ask you to then say this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, reveal something in the Trinity that exposes something broken in me. Will you dare ask that question? Will you dare? Holy Spirit, reveal to me something in the Trinity that exposes something broken in me. And then when it comes, and it will, in light of that revelation, what are some questions you should be asking yourself that can lead to change? Because again, God's not just in this for an information exchange. This is about transformation. In light of that revelation, what are some questions you should be asking yourself that can lead to change? When you begin to have a sense of maybe what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, talk to people about it. Reach out to someone. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your family. Base camp and men's group, the well for the ladies, one of us. Talk about it. Talk about it. If you're, if you're married, the third part is a great thing. to. So what are some questions that you think I should be asking myself in light of this thing that I know that I need to work on? God wants to change us. He has a purpose for every one of us. And the greatest sense of meaning that we're ever going to find in this life is pursuing that purpose with all the passion that we can muster. God's on a mission. And his mission is to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's asking us to go on that mission with him. And we each have a part to play. And my prayer for you tonight, my prayer for myself tonight is that our brokenness will stop being an excuse because we're not worthless to him. We're not worthless to him. Stand with me. I'm gonna pray and then I'll give you some instructions. Jesus. Father, if there's somebody listening tonight, whether they're in this room or, or online and they hear me say things like a vow of devotion to Christ and they're not sure what that is, I, I pray that they would know now. I pray that somehow during this, this message that the this incredible phrase that you have unleashed onto the world called the gospel would resonate deep in their soul that we will never be enough that we were born into this world separated from you and that longing and aching deep in our heart that we just can't seem to satisfy 
no matter how hard we try, is actually a longing to be born supernaturally into your family. That we are desperate to be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that in their own words, that they would say something to you like this, Father, I believe that I'm broken and I can never be enough. And I believe that you sent your son into this world to die for my sins and that he rose from the dead. And even though I don't understand everything it might mean for me, I make a vow of devotion to Christ today. I want to be reconciled to you. I want to be born into your family. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to bring my own brokenness to your mission. I want my life to inspire the world around me to discover what I have just discovered now, that you are glorious, that you are magnificent, that there is a splendor about you that I will never see and never find no matter where I go in this world or in this universe, that you are greater, that you are grander, and that your kingdom, let it come. And whatever part I have to play in it, no matter how small or how big, the greatest joy of my life will be to serve you fully, just as you fully serve one another. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen.